0: After his death in 1996, it was revealed that the renowned astrophysicist, writer, and prominent public scientist Carl Sagan was the anonymous writer of Mr. X, an essay about the many benefits of marijuana use. The essay was written in 1969 and first published in Dr. Lester Grinspoon's 1971 book, Marijuana Revisited. Dr. Grinspoon was a longtime associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard, And it was Grinspoon who confirmed that Sagan wrote the essay under the pseudonym Mr. X to protect against professional consequences. Grinspoon himself was denied tenure in 1975 and in in 1997. He retired from Harvard Medical School in the year 2000. Dr. Grinspoon died June 25, 2020. Uh, This is an excerpt from Sagan's essay, Mr. X. The cannabis experience has greatly improved my appreciation for art, a subject which I had never much appreciated before. The understanding of the intent of the artist, which I can achieve when high, sometimes carries over when I'm down. This is one of many human frontiers which cannabis has helped me traverse. There also have been some art-related insights. I don't know whether they are true or false, but they are fun to formulate. For example, I have spent time high looking at the work of Belgian surrealist Yves Tangay. Some years later, I emerged from a long swim in the Caribbean and sank exhausted onto a beach formed from the erosion of a nearby coral reef. In idly examining the uh, arcuate, pastel-colored coral fragments which make up the beach, I saw before me a vast Tangay painting. Perhaps Tangay visited such a beach in his childhood. A very similar improvement in my appreciation of music has occurred with cannabis. For the first time, I have been able to hear the separate parts of the three-part harmony and the richness of the counterpoint. I have since discovered that professional musicians can quite easily keep many separate parts going simultaneously in their heads, but this was the first time for me. Again, the learning experience when high has at least to some extent carried over when I'm down. The enjoyment of food is amplified taste and aromas emerge that for some reason we ordinarily seem too busy to notice. I am able to give my full attention to the sensation. A potato will have a texture, a body, and a taste like other potatoes, but much more so. Cannabis also enhances the enjoyment of sex. On one hand, it gives an exquisite sensitivity, but on the other hand, it postpones orgasm, in part distracting me with the profusion of images passing before my eyes, The actual duration of orgasm seems to lengthen greatly, but this may be the usual experience of time expansion, which comes with cannabis smoking. I do not consider myself a religious person in the usual sense, but there is a religious aspect to some highs. The heightened sensitivity in all areas gives me a feeling of communion with my surroundings, both animate and inanimate. Sometimes a kind of existential perception of the absurd comes over me, and I see with awful certainty the hypocrisies and posturing of myself and my fellow men. At other times there is a different sense of the absurd, a playful and whimsical awareness. Both of these senses of the absurd can be communicated, and some of the most rewarding highs I've had have been in sharing, talk, and perceptions and humor. Cannabis brings us an awareness that we spend a lifetime being trained to overlook and forget and put out of our minds, A sense of what the world is really like can be maddening. Cannabis has brought me some feelings for what it is like to be crazy and how we use that word crazy to avoid thinking about things that are too painful for us. I am convinced that there are genuine and valid levels of perception available with cannabis and probably with other drugs which are through the defects of our society and educational system unavailable to us without such drugs. Such a remark applies not only to self-awareness and to intellectual pursuits, but also to perceptions of real people, a vastly enhanced sensitivity to facial expression, intonation, and choice of words which sometimes yields a rapport so close it's as if two people are reading each other's minds. There is a very nice self-teetering aspect to cannabis. Each puff is a very small dose. The time lag between inhaling a puff and sensing its effect is small, And there is no desire for more after the high is there. I think the ratio R of the time to sense the dose taken to the time required to take an excessive dose is an important quantity. R is very large for LSD, which I've never taken, and reasonably short for cannabis. Small values of R should be one measure of the safety of psychedelic drugs. When cannabis is legalized, I hope to see this ratio as one of the parameters printed on the pack. I hope that the time isn't too distant. The illegality of cannabis is outrageous, an impediment to full utilization of a drug which helps produce the serenity and insight, sensitivity and fellowship so desperately needed in this increasingly mad and dangerous world. Solidarity comrades and friends. This is the Highlands Bunker podcast. We're in the shadow of Rockford Tower behind enemy lines in a neighborhood replete with Vichy cowards. Our comrade and Delaware Call managing editor Jordan Howe is hanging out on the Zoom this evening. And this episode is produced in collaboration with the Delaware Call, Delaware's premier progressive online magazine. Our guest this evening is Zoe Pichel. Zoe is a local activist and organizer, and she is the current president and board chair of the Delaware Cannabis Advocacy Network. I am very pleased to welcome Zoe to Highlands Bunker podcast. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate
0: it. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to have you. Um, this is a, an issue that I talk about quite a bit. It's dear to my heart, of, uh, as people know. Um, but I also know you've been at this issue a very long time. Um, Can you give us some background uh, and how long you've been working on it and um, what got you into it?
1: Yeah. So um, I've actually been advocating for cannabis utilization since uh, 2010. I started with uh, the local Philadelphia Normal Chapter and the Normal Women's Alliance out of Philadelphia. Um, And I moved to Delaware in uh, 2012. And um, there was always conversations about starting a Delaware Normal Chapter. Um, There apparently was one back in the 70s, you know, as you noted in your opening, you know, this is an issue that's been uh, being addressed for quite a long time. And unfortunately, the legislature and the laws, you know, are failing to keep up with, um, you know, the public opinion to legalize and whatnot. Um, So we actually started a Delaware Normal chapter here in 2013. I was one of the founding board members to Delaware Normal. Um, And it was immediately apparent uh, that we would need um, a concentrated lobby effort here in Delaware because unlike the other states that have legalized uh, cannabis for adult use um, that mostly have been done through a ballot initiative referendum, um, Delaware does not have that ability. So unfortunately, um, we're unable to just put a piece of legislation on the ballot to vote on it, like our neighbors in New Jersey and several of the other states that have legalized. Um, So everything would have to go through the legislature. Um, And it was immediately apparent that that was going to be quite a difficult task. So Delaware Normal being a 501c3, um, we needed to start something else. So we started a grassroots lobby organization, um, which originally started as the name Cannabis Bureau of Delaware and evolved into what is now Delaware Cannabis Advocacy Network, which is an official uh, 501c4 nonprofit here in Delaware, um, and focuses almost exclusively on citizen lobbying and outreach. We've organized and participated in over 350 events since inception, um, including citizen lobby days, town halls and public forums, um, expungement and pardon seminars, Know Your Right seminars, uh, advocacy trainings, uh, you know, canvassing, event tabling, and other kinds of outreach activities. We also raise money for people um, who have been adversely affected by cannabis prohibition to expunge their criminal records. Um, and we regularly attend political and civic events to, to push cannabis legalization. Like I said, we've been doing it since 2013. There's been a lot of incremental success. Um, we passed decriminalization back in 2015. Um, When we first started Delaware Normal, um, we actually came in after the medical cannabis bill had been passed. Um, But there was a series of issues with the medical cannabis implementation. Um, When we started in 2013, um, the medical cannabis program was already enacted. However, there were no dispensaries uh, where patients could go get safe access to their medical cannabis. Uh, the program did begin issuing uh, medical cannabis cards even before they put out an RFP for the medical cannabis uh, dispensary. So they were taking money from the state, uh, I mean, they were taking money from the the patient um, without giving them safe access. It was basically a card that would just be a protection. So we worked through the full implementation of that and seeing um, you know, the dispensaries, Uh, licensed and, um, you know, up and running and whatnot. And then eventually, uh, like I said, there's been um, a few dozen different uh, medical cannabis amendments that helped strengthen that initial reform. Um, And then, of course, the decriminalization. um, There's also been expunities that we worked on uh, back in 2018 with Senate Bill uh, 197 and, of course, supporting other criminal justice reforms like the expunities bill, um Senate Bill 37 from last year and whatnot. So we've been at it quite a long time. Delaware is absolutely overdue for legalization. There's a lot of issues here in Delaware. We're still continuing to see um, increased enforcement post decriminalization. Uh, the Delaware Statistical Analysis Center actually shows 127% increase in possession only cannabis offenses, post decriminalization.
0: So we really need to fully legalize cannabis for adults 21 and older. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to kind of set this conversation on in, in sort of two parts, um, because I think there's two separate concepts here. Um, the first one is the political discourse. Um, I have a lot of qu- sort of questions and I want to walk people through the political discourse. Uh, and the other one is something I call reality. Uh, and like, what you know, what really happens in people's lives, and and what's sort of, yeah, out, outside of a political discussion, you know, what 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 is really happening? Um, so first, the political discourse. Um, I had a, a an exchange, a Twitter exchange uh, about a month ago with the governor's spokesperson, Jonathan Starkey, and uh, he was kind of you know making a, a sort of a, a a critique of this idea of we should legalized for the tax reasons because Colorado has made a, a, a pretty nice haul. Um, now New Jersey is going to do it. And as, as states around you are doing it, you know, you're losing that opportunity for the tax. And he said, well, you know, this is a this is a bad argument because, you know, we usually tax things like this to get less usage. And 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 and, and I I just I, I actually got a little upset. And, and I said, you know, the only reason we're making this argument uh, is because it's a it's it, it 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 sells people who maybe aren't sold on it. Um, our dunderhead mayor or yeah he's a dunderhead too, but our governor uh, is also um, you know he's going to be open to these kind of revenue sort of arguments in in general. But but really uh, he is right. I I, I don't really care. Um, but I want to go all the way back to the first move which was the, the, the medical and, and for patients uh, that had the, on prescription for particular maladies, they could be, uh, they could be prescribed this. Um, you know, even in that discussion, I remember really putting fine points on things that, that actually, I think, in the long run put us into a discussion that was too technical. But I, I'd like you to talk a little bit about just the, 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 the medical aspect Getting that passed and whether or not some of those arguments you said there were, there's been a dozen or more amendments even to it and tweaking it fine tuning it and having these technical discussions um, has has any of that actually hindered the broader push for for full legalization for adults.
1: Yeah, actually, that's a really good question Um I mean, you know, it, it definitely has given lawmakers an umbrella to kind of hide under uh, for full legalization so they don't have to support legalization. Because the fact of the matter is, is that it's, it's almost 90 percent of, you know, public support for medical cannabis, uh, you know, amongst, you know, citizens, professionals, legislati- legislators, uh, the whole nine. There's just a lot of support uh, for medical cannabis. So it's definitely... Um, in oh. that sense, definitely, um, helped lawmakers that are not willing to put their name on legalization, say, well, I support medical cannabis, but I just don't support adults using cannabis for whatever purpose. Um, but it's absolutely essential. We need medical cannabis. Um, you know, there's no two ways about it, but just the fact of the matter is, is that medical cannabis doesn't, um, you know, resolve all the issues surrounding cannabis prohibition and all the criminal justice issues. In fact, the program that's currently implemented here in the state of Delaware, even though we've had, you know, a lot of um, incremental progress with that piece of legislation and that policy, is, um, you know, it, it basically creates this privileged system, a pay to play system where um, if you have. You know, a medical, rec- you know, medical records, meaning that you had some kind of, you know, medical insurance to be able to go to the doctors to have, um, you know, the medical records necessary to qualify for a medical card in the first place, plus the barriers to entry with, um, you know, the cost uh, for a the initial visit to your doctor for them to sign your medical, uh, cannabis application, as well. As the cost uh, for the card itself. And now the cost of the card has come down $100 uh, over the last two years. Um, they actually dropped the price um, from $150 to a $50 fee. And there was, of course, um, you know, a sliding scale for people that were unable to pay the full amount to participate in that program. But the fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot of people that don't uh, have the ability to go see doctors because of financial uh, impediments and things like that. Um, so it really does create like this privilege system um, if you don't have the ability to uh, basically pay to play in that. Um, and it, it just doesn't go to um, address the broader criminal justice reforms that are needed with cannabis legalization. Um, so often, uh, cannabis legalization is often overlooked as the criminal justice reform that it is. Um, you know, it certainly won't solve everything, but, you know, we definitely need to end the arrests. Um, you know, uh, prevent law enforcement from being able to stop a person, uh, search a person. You know, there's the probable cause aspect, um, you know, civil asset forfeiture, uh, the expungement of criminal records and things like that. So it, it just falls short, but it's absolutely needed.
0: Yeah, I I definitely want to talk about how going forward, especially this session, you know, now we can tie this into other aspects of organizing. Um, But I I can tell you my my medical story because I've told it a couple of times before, but I'm interested in your take on it uh, because of your knowledge and background on it. So, you know, I'm 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 a stoner. I smoke every day. Uh, I I I suspect that me and people like me who I know a lot of are are really treating like uh, low-level anxiety, some sort of low-level pain. A lot of the people, as you said, don't have the resources to get these diagnosed if they could. Um, I've also had a bunch of problems with my eyes, so later in life I developed glaucoma. And um, all, a lot of the treatments didn't work, uh, but I noticed that um, the heavier I smoked, the 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 uh, pressure in my eye would, would, would stay down, and it would be outside the levels of like acute glaucoma. And so I thought, oh, you know what? That's on the list. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll get right with the law, you know, and I'll pay my tax and I'll do the stuff that I should do. So I took all my documents to the place to get the card. But when they looked at it, they said, "Well, you're the you have open uh, open angle glaucoma, but it's dormant." I said, "Yeah, but it doesn't. You're never cured. It's just the." They said, "No, but it has to be over the the level." And I said, "Well, how?" She's like, well, you can just stop using it so it goes up or go back to the doctor and say that the reason that your levels have been down is because and I'm thinking it was a real. So, of course, I never followed through on it because I, I didn't I felt like it was a, a not that it was an administrative sort of nightmare. And it just seemed um, like a lot of a lot of nonsense for, for for nothing. And I wonder how many other people just go through this weird sort of situation and either have trouble, as you said, or. Or just find it very cumbersome, um, really for only political reasons. Like, there's no reason to have all of that bureaucracy other than, as you said before, um, to sort of sell it to people who don't want to sign on to it. And I feel like the that aspect of it, that, you know, it's not really not really what we should do but we're going to give you a political policy way to sort of sign on to it and once you do that you've actually taken almost a step back and it becomes more difficult to go all the way forward but you know i don't know if you have any comment about that be- before we move on i just i find the i find that there's a lot of sort of paradoxes within the the medical by prescription marijuana sort of policy yeah
1: absolutely i mean you know you're stories like, you know, the quintessential example of why we need adult use legalization because, you know, you had uh, some benefit from medical cannabis. You know, it was showing obviously in the test that it was obviously helping to decrease the issue with the um, glaucoma and things like that. But you have, you know, healthcare providers that want you to take alternative measures first before you're able to use the cannabis Or, you know, um, with the medical cannabis program here in Delaware, there's qualifying conditions that don't, um, you know, encompass all of the ailments that medical cannabis can help with. Um, Yet, on the same hand, how easy is it for people to get um, a prescription for opiates? And, you know, with the opiate epidemic that we're having, uh, not just here in Delaware, but across the nation. um, And... With the qualifying conditions here in Delaware with the medical cannabis program, a person who breaks their leg, a person who has, um, you know, dental surgery, uh, a car accident, these, you know, like a smaller uh, um, time frame of ailment instead of, you know, these long chronic diseases and things like that are unable to get a medical cannabis card because they don't meet the qualifications, but they're constantly handed. Um, you know, opiates and prescriptions for uh, harmful pharmaceuticals that cannabis could definitely replace. And that's what there's, what we're seeing with the research. I mean, there's just an abundance of research coming out that, um, you know, basically refuting the age-old story of cannabis being a gateway, but it's actually an exit strategy for a lot of people that are on prescription medications and even uh, harmful drugs that they're addicted to, including alcohol. Um, And that's like one of the biggest anecdotal stories that we hear when we're doing our outreach, like cannabis helped people get off of, you know, a number of different prescription pills or, you know, some kind of hard drug and even alcohol. And the research is there, too. I mean, there's just an abundance of research showing that not only is cannabis reducing opiate use, abuse and overdose in states that have legalized, but it's actually reversing what was once an upward trend. So here in Delaware, you know, we're continuing continuing to see an increase in opiate uh, deaths, whereas states that have legalized, not only are they seeing a reduction, but they're seeing a reversal in what was an upward trend. So, I mean, it's definitely, you know, something that I think that that's part of it, too, is that it will replace so many different pharmaceuticals and people will be less likely to, you um, you know, adhere to, you know, traditional pharmaceutical treatments with the access to medical can or with the access to cannabis. And that's why we need adult use because um, you know, adults should be able to consume cannabis any way that they choose, whether it's medicinally, socially, recreationally, you mentioned it earlier, preventatively, um, and you know, spiritually, I mean there's so many uses for cannabis. That's why we call it adult use cannabis. Adults should be able to consume it any way they want. Now, the other side of that is, is that we still need to keep the protections in place for the medical cannabis patients, especially um, patients that are suffering from, you know, serious chronic illnesses, such as uh, cancer and ALS, with multiple sclerosis, AIDS, and things like that, um, because of, you know, an issue that you kind of brought up earlier about like the tax that's going to be applied to the adult use side. So in states that have legalized, um, you know, they have a bifurcated system uh, within uh, dispensaries themselves, where if you're a medical cannabis patient, you go to one side, you have access to, you know, kind of a, a wider array of cannabis. If there's shortages, then you have, you know, first come, you know, access to those, uh, you know, to the cannabis and the cannabis products and whatnot. And it's not taxed. So we definitely need to keep those protections in place, along with, um, you know, to protect employment protections for medical cannabis patients as well, because um, actually Delaware's law um, for medical cannabis is quite strong in terms of employment protections. And there's been quite a bit of um, litigation here in Delaware that has protected people that have been fired from uh, corporate entities and things like that for being a medical cannabis patient. Um, so we definitely need to keep those protections in place, um as well as have the system that allows for medical cannabis patients to have access to a tax-free cannabis and cannabis products.
0: Yeah, that's how they do it in Denver. I'm trying to think of different places I've been that that basically do it like that. You know, you can go to the same place, but the medical place is, is a separate sort of desk or room so that you get you make sure that the you know the tax is different, and the availability is there, things like that, which is which is great. And I can tell you anecdotally that uh, there's two or three people I know. One 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 of my friends was in a bicycle accident and went to the hospital and was was prescribed painkillers. Didn't use them; just smoked because didn't want to take opiates. You know that they make you feel bad. Um, I had a friend uh, had a had a vasectomy; was probably overdue. Uh, and he was given painkillers. Didn't you? Well, he kept them for probably other stuff. But uh, but again, the the, the opiates that <clears throat> Paul Baumbach, the representative uh, in Dover from Newark, was on the podcast about a year and a half ago. And we talked about this issue. And he you know, he's open to full legalization. And his big his big hang up was the science behind like police field tests. And of course, the police lobbies—what it is—we understand in Delaware what the, the power that they have. Um, but I'm thinking to myself, you know, doctors prescribe still today, prescribe opiates for pain after surgery or, or whatever. Um, they prescribe muscle relaxers. Uh, they prescribe ambient and, and significant sleep aids. And you know, those things, I understand that the 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 nature of them, and they and they can be prescribed and used medically but they're far far more dangerous they're they're addictive they're there and and there's no real discussion about that and again it just not to sit here and pick out hypocrisies. we could do that all day but i think it helps to sort of ground the conversation and sort of what we're talking about rather than and that's why i called it the political discourse right it's like People just pe- people should be able to do. Adults should be able to do this like they like they do anything else because scientifically it's it, it's almost harmless. Um, that's why I read the uh, the Sagan essay. There's actually a bit in it, and I and I encourage everyone to read it. It's 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 quite long, but I hope you got a gist of it. Um, and it, it, he he's a beautiful writer, which you probably know because he, he wrote a lot of things that people have read. Um, but there's a there's a passage in it about driving. And the way he explains it is that he's able to sort of control it in himself, and he doesn't, he, you feel like you can focus. And once you've driven, uh, and he didn't say he did it a, a bunch of times, but he had done it. And he's like, he, whenever you get to wherever, you're just not high anymore, but you don't have any, you know, maybe there's some reaction, uh, but it wasn't as dangerous as even having one drink or taking one ambient or whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I really encourage people to. To sort of read that essay because it puts it in, it puts it in, 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 sort of in, in, in language that I don't know, it, you, if you can absorb it because it's good writing, you'll really understand kind of where people are coming from. Um, but I do want to move into some of the buttons you're going to push for this session. So, is there a, is there legislation ready to go today that? Uh, People understand and and that we're working from uh, and and what is the plan for that legislation from a committee standpoint a vote standpoint?
1: So, um, well, of course, uh, you know, we've had two other versions of uh, an adult youth bill introduced. Um, The first version was introduced in 2017 um, with our prime sponsors at the time, Representative Helene Keeley and Senator Margaret Bruce Henry. Um, Of course, after that bill um, lost by four votes, um, our two prime sponsors uh, actually retired. So we got new prime sponsors with Representative uh, Ed Ozinski and Senator Trey Hardy. I just want to mention real quick before uh, I specifically tell about what's going on with the new adult youth bill, but it's a very um, little-known fact here in Delaware, but Delaware was actually the first state in the entire country to get a simple majority on a cannabis legalization market bill. Every single state that had done it prior to Delaware taking the measure up in 2018 had done so through the ballot referendum process. The only other state that had done it through the legislature um, was Vermont, but it didn't legalize a cannabis market. Um, So when our bill was introduced in 2017, we didn't have the vote um, initially to pass that. There was an adult-use cannabis task force over a series of the, like, the next nine months. Um, and then, in, inevitably, that bill went to the House floor, and we lost by four votes, but we regained we uh, or we garnered a simple majority. So it made Delaware the very first state in the entire country to get the simple majority. But because Delaware, um, the Delaware Constitution requires a supermajority, for bills that um have anything to do with licensing fees and taxes. Um, we ended up losing that vote by four votes. Um, when uh five Democrats abstained from uh voting from for that bill, and all but one Republican voted against that. Um so I mean it's really just a technicality that we don't have legal legalization so far. So, like I said, after that happened, um our two time sponsors ended up retiring. And uh, two new prime sponsors replaced them, Representative Ed Ozinski and Senator Trey Party. Um, A new bill was introduced uh, in May of 2019. It passed the House Revenue and Finance Committee um, 8 to 3. And um, then we never got a a vote in the House because, um, well, the first year that that bill was out, um, we didn't have enough votes to put it up. Um, The second year, obviously, was 2020. We had the COVID situation happen and an interrupted uh, legislative session. We actually thought we were gonna pass legalization last year, uh, had it not been for COVID interrupting session. Um, So they've been working, the prime sponsors have been working on a new um, piece of legislation. It's my understanding, I've not seen it. Um, It's my understanding that it's very similar to uh, last year's legislation. With some uh, language that's been strengthened, especially around like the social equity uh, issue, um, and you know addressing how the disproportionate effects of cannabis prohibition in communities of color, and how to overcome that bridge um, to make sure that people that have been disproportionately affected by cannabis prohibition have uh, ample and fair opportunity to get into the industry. So um, that bill, unfortunately, is not ready. Um, I actually spoke with Representative Ed Ozymski uh, earlier today. Um, It's my understanding that they are still drafting um, the third version of the adult use cannabis legalization bill. And they have plans to introduce it over JFC break um, as a pre-file going into um, March. And uh, it's also my understanding that we hope to pass a committee in March as well. Now, the big sticking point with adult use legalization has always been in the House um, because with the supermajority needed, like I said, um, we were just a few votes short um, of passing that first adult use cannabis legalization bill back in twenty eighteen.
0: Who were the who were the, you said there were, were there were four House members, four Democratic House members, who voted no.
1: Yes. So, I feel we,
0: I feel like we should name them can we name them
1: yeah absolutely so there were actually five Democrat representatives that abstained from the bill they were that's what those. it was well, yeah. yes they took they the no, they just it, abstained and inevitably sunk our, our chances of passing that piece of legislation
0: you um, will notice that. you will notice I mentioned Vichy cowards earlier so we'll, we'll just we'll put them in that category but yes so uh, these are abstentions
1: yes um, so, it was uh, Representative Stephanie Bolden. Um, okay. Representative Earl Jake.
0: Oh, bye-bye. Okay, he's a bye-bye. Rep- bye-bye, uh-huh. Earl. Uh,
1: Representative um, Bill Carson.
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
1: Speaker of the House, uh, Representative uh, Pete Schwarzkopf.
0: Pistol Pete.
1: And uh, for some reason, her name just gave me, but she retired. It was... Uh, Representative Melanie, um, I can't remember her last name, but she was now replaced. Uh, oh, now I'm, I'm, it's, it's escaping me now.
0: Melanie George Smith.
1: Yes, Melanie George Smith. And
0: who who is in her seat now? Who will be taking her seat?
1: So that's, um, I'm drawing a blank right
0: now, but uh, I'm trying to do a little whip count in my head. But so I mean, I I, I know for a fact, you know, Eric Morrison is uh, he's on board. We that, that much we know. Um, you know, I, I think Carson and, and 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 Pistol Pete are gonna be are gonna be rough. Um but I, I just wanted everybody to know where the choke points are here. Um I think it's only fair that everybody sort of who understands this un- understands um who who these representatives are, number one. And number two, um s- starts to interrogate the reason why. Um and, and this is my next question for you. Um, I've actually had this conversation with John Carney face to face. I heard um, a group of activists actually confront him at McCain High School. I was I wasn't with them, but um, I saw them do it, which was great. Um, And and the only answer that I've been able to get from him that has been like coherent is that he was waiting because he knows John Hickenlooper from California from their time in the house and he was waiting for his friend to like tell him that it was okay and and I, so I like like I understand those words that you want your friend to tell you that it's okay I don't understand what that has to do with anything but that was the only coherent thing he said I don't know what the other other than sort of the Paul Baumbach argument about appeasing the police with some sort of field tests or, or ensuring that as you said, that we put employment rights stuff in there, uh, medical rights stuff in there, criminal justice stuff in there. Other than that, what are the actual policy sticking points
1: for jo- for
0: Governor John Carney? Uh, per- well, either I mean, either the reps or Carney. I mean, I think my my sus- sus- I don't know whether y- I mean you would probably have a a feeling about this. I mean, is is Pete Schwartzkoff? Representing the police saying we're not doing this So Carney is going along with Pete Or is it the other way around My sense is it would be Pete and the police Telling Carney that they're not And he's just hiding in a closet about it But but maybe you have a different sense of it I don't know
1: Yeah, it's actually kind of two separate um, You know, <sighs> weaknesses I suppose With legalization So uh, Representative Pete um, Absolutely, like you mentioned um, You know, it's definitely a law enforcement issue for him and, you know, law enforcement, as you mentioned earlier, is one of the biggest opponents to cannabis legalization um, and regularly lobby our legislature to um, to vote against this measure. And anytime we have a hearing, anytime we have, you know, any kind of bill vote or anything, they show up, you know, 30, 40, 50 deep in uniform, um, you know, on the clock, I presume, you know, I... I assume, footed by, you know, the citizens and the taxpayers to lobby against cannabis legalization. And they're really forthright about why they don't support it. And it's basically it comes down to probable cause searches. So right now, um, you know, the very odor of cannabis, either raw or burnt, gives law enforcement um, access to a probable cause search where typically they would need a warrant or your consent to be able to search you. And, you know, it's they're searching people's property, people's cars, their houses, and there's even strip searches that are occurring here in Delaware based on the odor of cannabis alone. Not because they found a large amount of cannabis or anything like that, but simply because law enforcement either said or actually smelled cannabis. And, you know, we've had law enforcement that have gone on the record to say that it's a tactic that's used um, when they need uh, to gain access to somebody to search them or their property without having to go through the constitutional protections of having to get a warrant. So basically, um, they, it's a law enforcement tool that they use to circumvent the Fourth Amendment constitutional protections. Um, and they, they're really, um, you know pretty uh, open about that being the main reason that they don't support legalization. On the other side of it, um, Governor Carney, has he's never actually said any specific thing that he's concerned about. He's kind of taken the wait-and-see approach. Um, he said, you know, he, he wanted to wait and see what happened with the other states. He wanted to take it slow, things like that. Um, he's never exactly pinpointed what his sticking point was. He said things about, you know, keeping Delaware safe and healthy and things like that, Um However, the fact of the matter is is that, you know, we have 61% of Delaware citizens that support cannabis legalization. Like I said, we already garnered a simple majority in the legislature, and this bill actually requires a three-fifths supermajority, which is the exact amount of votes needed to override a veto. We don't think that John Carney would veto this measure. Um, He's never said that. He's never even signaled that. Um, But... You know, just from the door, we're definitely working with um, what we would consider a veto-proof
0: bill. Yeah, so I, I, I'm just going to underscore this before I ask my next question. You know, the only reason this isn't going forward is because police interests want an end run around your search and seizure rights. That's it. Um, all the science, you know, the science is in uh, as far as, you know, the, 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 the health aspects of it. They're mostly good. Um, You know, Sagan wrote his essay in 1969. Um, So there's no other open issues that I have that have been made to me that I understand other than this this um, sort of search and seizure issue and and using a tool as a as a way to crack down on people that uh, I guess they deem that need to be cracked down upon. Um, Oh, and before I get to my next question, I, I would be remiss not to mention a very very old friend of mine that I had lost touch with and and didn't meet him again until a few years ago. And I went to one of your events, Tom Donovan. Uh, I I met him in like nineteen ninety four maybe. I've known him like a really long time. We went to school together, and I was uh, so happy not only to meet him but to know the kind of work that he's doing because he he's a, an attorney and he works on the legal aspect of a lot of of defending a lot of these cases. Um, I assume he still does a lot of that. Um, So I I want to give him a shout out because that's uh, very dope work uh, and very good work on his part.
1: Yeah, Tom Bowne is actually one of our directors and the co-founders of um, Delaware Cannabis Advocacy Network. And he actually represented um, people for free that had been charged with misdemeanor cannabis possession for about two years and handled over 130 some odd cases um, prior to decriminalization taking effect. Um, and he's actually the lead um, organizer for our cannabis expungement project, which I mentioned earlier, uh, raises money for people uh, to fund the cost for an expungement for those eligible under uh, Senate Bill 197 and Senate Bill 37, to make sure that everybody who needs an expungement um, can get an expungement, whether they can afford one or not. So he does amazing work with us, and, you know, we definitely appreciate you know everything that he's brought
0: to our movement. Yeah, th- I was racking my brain. I think it's possible that the first time I smoked, and it might have been the first time I smoked, but it was definitely the first time I smoked at the University of Delaware. I think of the four, of the three other people that were there, Tom might have been one of them. That's could that could be, uh, but I'm glad to give him that shout out. Um, my next question is about um sort of the licensing of the supply end. And I don't have all the details in front of me, but I do know that several years ago, uh, in Ohio, uh, their adult rec- their adult marijuana recreational marijuana bill went up for referendum, as they have there, and it actually the activists, like people like you and me, were were out mobilizing against the measure, and it did not pass. And the reason was that the the licensing for supply and growth were heavily tied into uh, capital interests, corporate interests, um, you know, and and those kind of firms, um, ex-police, and that type of thing, and it was very tight about that. So they voted it down. Um, the thing. So I, I'm I'm sort of interested in that end of it here in Delaware, uh, considering our our allegiance to uh, to capital uh, and to you know, sort of corporate uh, power, just in general. Um, I know that you mentioned that it's being considered, you know, making sure that that people that might have had an impact on them would have an opportunity uh, on the employment side. But I wonder if you can talk about just the supply side in general and the licensing of it uh, and how that would work.
1: Yeah, so like I said, um, the bill that's expected out this year, um, I've not seen yet, but based on last year's bill and my understanding of, you know, the similarities between last year's bill and you know the new bill that's going to come out, um, and it's going to look fairly similar is, um, the way that it's regulated. First of all, is um through the Department of Safety and Homeland Security under uh, the Delaware Alcohol and Tobacco Enforcement with a newly created uh division within. Uh, for cannabis. And um, so the licenses is a four-tiered licensing system where you have the cultivators, uh, manufacturers, retail, and laboratories. So those are the four uh, categories of licensing. Um, And, uh, you know, there's definitely been some uh, opposition to the, the licensing aspect of it in you know over the last six years since the adult use bills have been introduced and whatnot. Um, so one of the issues that we have um that we've been hearing is that it's a corporate bill. Um, I don't think it's a corporate bill. I think that there's um definitely some issues that you know can be adjusted over time. Um, the way that the licensing uh, is going to be initially implemented implemented is with a cap, but those caps are only uh initial implementation caps. So when we have um different caps on you know the manufacturing, uh the retail and the cultivators, those caps will only exist uh for the first two years or the first three years for the retail. Um we do have some concerns over that. Um there's definitely you know some issues with the medical cannabis program and the limited market participants. the first version of the adult use bill had 150 total licenses for the first two years. Um, last year's version had 100 total licenses um, for the first two and three years, like I said. Uh, so it's 15 for the retail for the first three. Um, and it was, uh, I, I believe, 50 uh, cultivators and uh, 30 manufacturers or something to that degree.
0: Um, so that's the that's the recreational infrastructure that's been licensed out. That's sort of sitting there. Is that right, or is that or does that lap over into the medical part that's that currently exists? So
1: that's the adult use bill that we have not passed yet. Um, oh,
0: I see. I see. So this yeah. would be what this would be what would be available. There'd be fifteen uh, retail licenses, thirty cultivator licenses, based on the language of the previous bill, and we expect it to be about the same
1: the previous bill. However, um, there's been, you know, definitely, you know, some advocacy on our part to first add licenses, but also um, make sure that there's licenses available for uh, communities that have been disproportionately affected by cannabis prohibition, you know, specifically communities of color and poor communities to be able to have the avenue uh, to get into this um, industry. And like you said, you know, it's obviously a capital issue. Um, across the board. So it's not just with, you know, this legislation, but it's all cannabis legislation. Um, and and, it, and it, part of that is because of the federal government, part of that is because of the effects of cannabis prohibition in the communities of color um, and in these poor communities, you know, with the civil asset forfeiture and all the collateral consequences associated with enforcement of cannabis prohibition. So there's definitely capital issues that need to be overcome. Um, however, with uh, my understanding is that there is going to be some additional licensing available. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. Um, you know, I haven't seen that bill yet, but it is my understanding that they are planning to increase the licensing. But one of the biggest things, you know, for the adult use bill uh, here in Delaware is that the the licensing fees. Are much lower than the licensing fees in you know, other states, especially California, Colorado, Washington, Oregon, even Massachusetts um, and Maine, where it's, it's significantly lower. Um, and there's also been six sections uh, put into the bill that specifically address fostering a fair and equitable industry, including uh making sure you know, there's uh Diversity in the workplace, also among licensees and owners of establishments, um, you know, data has to be submitted to the governor and the general assembly um, regarding the diversity among the establishments and employees and the licensing and whatnot. Um, they've also tasked the commissioner within the division of cannabis um, to coordinate with the division of small business and Department of Agricultural. To connect potential licensees and businesses uh, with programs to help support uh, minority ownership, wi- women owner, uh, female ownership, and ownership by veterans. Um, there's also been a number of things uh, that have been put into the bill in the competitive scoring aspect to ensure that there's diversity in the market. And there's actually um, some uh, effort among uh, some of the young Republicans to actually uh, get rid of the language that's been included in um, the adult use bill that would help foster uh, a more fair market. So like I said, there's, um, with the competitive scoring, um, applicants are required to submit their outline for their diversity goals and their plans to recruit and hire people of color women and veterans within the ownership and promote uh, or within the establishment and promote their ownership within the establishment. Um, they have to submit their plan for having a percentage of employees um, that are hired within the establishment uh, from the respected region um, and city surrounding that establishment. And they're also required to provide a plan Uh, For a safe, healthy, and economically beneficial working environment that promotes fair scheduling practices, family-supportive wages, and benefits for employees. Um, So this is some of the language that's being targeted as corporate language um, in the Adult Use Bill. But um, my understanding, and when I read it, you know, I see you know this language writing past wrong. So it's not that it's corporate language. Uh, requiring that, you know, people have, um, you know, a considerable amount of capital to make sure that these things happen, but rather something that we expect from the market participants because of the revenue that they're going to generate to make sure that, you know, they're paying their employees well, that, you know, the, that um, employees have certain protections and things like that, and that, you know. Uh, minorities and women and veterans have access to be able to um, participate in this market
0: let me throw this at you this might perk Carl up too I I think and and since the bill isn't uh isn't finalized yet maybe if this gets into the bill uh, maybe you can give me a name it after me or something or I'll pick a name for it <clears throat> I wonder whether it would be something people would uh would sort of uh, be up to, be, you know, sort of enjoy, like this idea of, of worker co-ops. I think putting language in to incent or ensure that uh, maybe if you set up as a co-op, you're prioritized for a license, say. And then the people who are working there all make the decision of how it works. There's no corporate money. Nobody's really the boss or the employee you don't all a lot of that dynamic and some of the corporate speak that might be you have to use to um to establish that dynamic you know you're sort of looking to engineer an equitable market which i think we we should be looking to do but people have difficulty sort of wrapping their head around the terms and the phraseology and sort of the architecture of how you want to do it and i think a a a concept that would sell it more is is allowing for small worker co-ops that meet certain cooperative, well this could be on the agricultural side, the cultivator side too, or, or, or any of these, these four aspects, I think. And to me, that kind of language not only, in, you know, it gets it away from the capital idea and the corporate idea, but it also you know sort of fosters the kind of market that you want. Uh, but at the same time, I think, addresses a lot of the equity equity issues addresses a lot of the justice issues and it and it puts the it puts the power of that of the market and of 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 doing that business in the hands of the people who are doing it and that's what I would suggest that so if somebody wants me to come in and give a give a talk about co-ops I'd be happy to do it I would hope that because because it seems like a lot of discussion and rightfully so is being put into sort of the the architecture of this and how and I don't think it's wrong to try to engineer a market to to do the things you want it to do to serve the people and to get the products out and you know it doesn't just have to serve profit it should serve everything in society so and trying to engineer that is good but when people see it sometimes they they get a little they get a little squirrely and so I'm here to advocate for worker co-ops.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, 100%. We agree 100%. We've actually submitted an entire plan surrounding co-ops and micro-licensing just for the very reasons that that you outlined. I mean, it's so important. Um, You know, plus the community-based ownership, um, not only would it help foster the fair and equitable industry, overcome, you know, the capital issues that we're seeing Uh, among communities of color and poor communities and whatnot to be able to participate into the market. Um, But it will also help, um, you know, convert the criminal market to the legal market because, um, you know, as a consumer myself, um, we don't want to go to a place where, you know, that's corporately run and things like that and they don't care about the consumers. They're just there to make money, this, that, and the other a co-op would obviously overcome that, um, you know, by creating that community ownership, um, as well as, you know, um, allowing for, uh, mentorship within the program. Um, and I mean, all kinds of different, uh, issues could be overcome with that. So it's absolutely something that we're advocating for, uh, co-ops and micro licensing. Um, you know, like, I think, that the broader issue with the, the social equity, um, you know, it's basically a multifaceted approach to address it. Um, that starts first with considering and acknowledging and addressing how the current policy is perpetuating the inequalities in the first place, and how we have to end the policy that continues to harm these communities. And, um, you know, by repealing the civil and criminal penalties, um, you know, especially with the underlying issue surrounding the disproportionate license issue having to do with the capital and the collateral consequences that are associated with the criminal conviction um, or even the lack of with the civil asset forfeiture. You don't even have to be charged with something for um, law enforcement to take property, money, um, and and things like that. So it's definitely uh, first starting with addressing how the policy creates these inequalities in the first place. Um, secondly, you know, it's really important. And we've been advocating to eliminate barriers to entry, um, and that includes expunging, expunging past offenses for criminal records to make sure that, you know, that's no longer an impediment for people um, not only to just get in this industry, but, you know, for gainful employment and, uh, you know, entrepreneurship and ownership across the board. Um, make sure that the law does not exclude people that have had, you um, uh, criminal convictions, um, we want to make sure that we remove other exclusions like uh, high entry costs, um, and definitely the co-ops and the um, micro licenses would help bridge that gap as well, as well as carbon avenue for ownership um, for people that want to get into the industry that have the little, the, you know, little revenue or resources to participate And then thirdly, coming back and incentivizing minority ownership. um, We've been advocating for grants and small business programs to distribute um, to help protect these small businesses and help them compete with the larger uh, entities that will be licensed uh, by funding a percentage of their startup costs or technical assistance, um, as well as mentoring services. We've advocated for fee waivers, um, as well as tax, tax exemptions for these communities that have been disproportionately affected. Um, and then fourth, with the social equity issue, it's important that a portion of the revenue be generated back uh, to reinvest in communities that have been disproportionately, disproportionately affected by this harmful policy um, and making sure that uh, we redress the impact that cannabis prohibition has had on these communities.
0: Yeah, and I just, another thing I want to underscore, just kind of bring these two things together. Again, I, I, I find it, like, sort of distasteful and stupid to continue to point out sort of hypocrisies. It's not the reason I'm going to mention this, but I think it's important for people to try to reckon with this, with these two ideas. If the police can come in uniform, uh, dozens and dozens, and in in, in lobby, if they can give sworn testimony... And they can basically say, look, the reason this is like this is because we just need this arcane tool to be able to selectively enforce, you know, searches, um, you know, busting people back off of of probation or parole or whatever it is. So we're using this as a tool uh, of the state, of the police. And we know what uh, results we get from that. Those those have been those are very clear. We know who they affect. They affect poor people we know where they live we know what they look like we, we, we know the impact of that but then on the other hand people don't like the the, the language that's used to try to address this like they don't like this diversity language or prioritizing this or, or this or that and then they feel like that that's sort of uh, too much engineering or too much uh, you know uh, you know intervention into the market about what who can do what well, you, you know, somehow these two things need to be reckoned with together. You can't allow the police for, for decades, centuries, to come down on people for, for, for what we now know is no reason, um, but then not want to somehow reckon with with fixing it. You can't just, it doesn't just end. Um, so I, I hope people start to put a lot of these things sort of together, you um, you know, You've been so, uh, you know. I, I want to, you personally, uh, particularly, uh, have have stuck with this and been out in the uh, out on the forefront of this for just so many years in in Delaware. And you've given it such a like a, a really professional public face. Um, you've been making. You're the you're the person with the args. You have the args. You're always prepared with the arguments. And um, I you know I really appreciate that. It's something that um. You know you were out there when not a lot of people were doing this um so i'm really happy for you that it's coming to fruition uh so what can people do uh to help get involved with this now i know it's sort of strange because we're still back on a virtual thing so it's hard to lobby uh, but you still can make phone calls you can still sort of uh, get involved in, in whatever way you can um, because this is going to be a big session a lot of progress can be made Um, So what are some of the specific things people can do to help you lobby and advocate for this? Yeah, I
1: mean, first and foremost, um, you know, contact your elected officials. Obviously, legislative session is going to look a lot different this year uh, with legislative hall not being open to the public and session being held virtually uh, at the moment. But on the same hand, it's also allowing um, our legislators to be actually more accessible via Zoom and things like that. Um, so, first and foremost, contact your elected official. Um, let them know that you're one of the 61% of Delaware citizens that support cannabis legalization. Um, and one of the things that we're actually um, focusing on right now is uh, before the bill comes out, is asking our legislators to prioritize cannabis legalization in 2021. Um, because, I mean, it's going to have such a huge effect on so many different areas. I mean, it's a Basically, it's a broad a broad spectrum issue. It encompasses so many issues within one single reform and so many relevant issues. You know, uh, obviously, it's going to be significant criminal justice reform. Um, it's also, you know, it encompasses policing, prosecutorial, uh, law enforcement funding and expungement reform all in one. And then there's the economic side. Um, obviously, it's going to significantly help with COVID recovery. Um, you know, with the economic development, as well as, you know, the small business and the job creation. Um, You know, these jobs, we're talking about thousands of jobs that are going to directly, you know, benefit Delawareans. And, you know, these jobs are going to replace some of these jobs that have been permanently lost through the pandemic and whatnot. So it's just going to have such a huge effect on Delaware and such a huge benefit um, that we're asking the legislature to prioritize cannabis legalization. There's actually been um, some, uh, I guess, uh, a push among the Republican caucus um, to not take up uh, controversial legislation while they're still meeting virtually. Um, And I think that legalization was targeted in that push But, I mean, it's really not controversial. We have 61% of Delaware voters that support it. Um, And like I said, it'll help with so many different reforms here in Delaware. So contact your elected officials. um, Get involved. We need help. Um, You know, we're all volunteer. Uh, We operate on a shoestring budget. Um, And, you know, our biggest asset is our manpower. So we need, you know, people getting involved Um, You know, we're going to have call banking and some outreach activities once the bill gets dropped. Um, We also encourage people to write a letter to the editor, Um, you know, not just write your elected officials, but write a letter to the editor, too, about, you know, about legalization and how you feel about that. Um, But the best way, get involved. Contact us at volunteer at DelawareCannabis.org. You can also go to our website, DelawareCannabis.org, for more information and how to get involved with our citizen-led movement.
0: Folks, smoking weed is fun. There are medicinal qualities, uh, but it's just uh, it's just relaxing. You just want to relax. And uh, everybody knows that that's what it is. So when you start hearing people uh, say, well, we can't take up this controversial issue over Zoom or something, uh, you know that person is full of shit. So... Keep that in mind Keep the criminal thing in mind And the criminal justice issues Because I think they're so important And the economic ones that we talked about But I know people are looking to get involved in something This is going to be a very active legislative session Um, There are some ways to do it I want to thank Zoe for coming on I really appreciate it I've been wanting to have you on for like over a year now So thank you Thank you Of course, of course Um, Highlands Bunker at Highlands Bunker on Twitter. It's The Highlands Bunker on Patreon. And look for this story and many stories like this about local organizing and activism on Delaware Call. Uh, We have a lot of exciting things coming up in the new year, so I hope you will stay tuned to it. Until next time, friends, left is best.